Welcome to episode three of the Kennedy Street Recovery Podcast. Hurrah! Today we're going to be talking about volunteering for Kennedy Street. And in the room we have Claire Kennedy. I thought I'd introduce myself like that today. Nice. Feeling a little bit giddy with Very myself. Very stylish. Yeah. And, and Emma. Yeah. Bizarre. And me, I'm Deli. Hey, and Deli. And we've got a guest with us today, uh, joining us via Zoom. And uh, we had a little bit of a discussion, didn't we, about how are we going to introduce James? James, multi-talented, multifaceted, a man for all seasons, James. I'm going to introduce James because I feel like I should because I've I known him the should. longest. I've worked with James now for two years and it's very, very difficult to pin a title on him because he is a very important part of Kennedy Street. He is. He's been volunteering initially. Two, it started two years ago, didn't you, James? Helping us with sound and tech um, as we hit COVID and... The brown stuff hit the fan and everything went online. Mm -hmm. And yours truly, Claire Kennedy, didn't have a Scooby-Doo what she was doing. (laughs) So I reached out into the internet, into the world of cyber, pleading with a technical person to help me. And James, the wonderful James, came forward like a knight in shining armour. Our own personal Sir Galahad. I thought you were going to say our own personal Jesus. Well... (laughs) Well, no. it could have been our own personal Jesus. But we don't want to ramp it up too high. No, we're not mm. ramping up too Yeah, let's not escalate yeah. into Jesus status just yet. So shall we let James get a word in, do you think? Yeah. No. Tell us, say hi, James. Well, I only thought it was a three-week gig to start with. <laughs> and how long ago was that? Two years. Tell us more about you, James. What do you actually really do in your real day job when you're not volunteering for Kennedy Street? He's got a day job. <laughs> he has got a day job. I had a day job. Um, no, I, I, I come from the world of, well, the creative industries. I used to work in advertising. Well, I still do, I suppose. I, I tend to work more in marketing and promo kind of stuff for companies, people, individuals, that sort of thing. Um, I run a small video production company. But called? I also What's it called? Future Sun Films. Future Sun Films. Good name. Nice. I now tend to do a mixture of video production, video marketing, creative consultancy, creative direction. I kind of bring all the things I've done over the last 30-odd years into one big pot and help people out, really, just to how they present themselves to the world. So what attracted you to Kennedy Street? Oh, the pay and the the hours. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, what attracted me? Well, we were all in a bit of limbo, weren't we, two years ago? I thought, oh, I could do that, and the bit I can't do, I can learn how to do it. So we started off doing streaming the recovery talks at the time, which is really interesting because it, it got me, it sort of threw me in at the deep end learning about recovery. For the first few weeks, I was sort of sat there with my mouth open, 
thinking, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> Which bit in particular was the shit that you couldn't make? Up? Most of it. <laughs> it was fascinating, a bit shocking in places, but it was also really interesting just to actually start, I suppose, thinking back to some bits of my life and certain situations I found myself in with certain kinds of people who had certain kinds of habits and I suppose it started to well just answer some questions I suppose over certain people I used to be friends with and some I, I, I did find myself in some slightly crazy situations back in when I was young uh, the day, um, I believe they call that. Back in the, back day, the younger day. day. So that was that was also quite interesting, just because it it opened my eyes a bit to how you can sort of be pottering along in life and quite oblivious to actually what's going on around you, even though it's sort of there in your face every day. Yeah, it was it was just it was interesting. I suppose it made me think a bit harder about some of the stuff I'd done in the past, some of the decisions I'd made. I mean, I've never personally been addicted to any kind of substance, but I've been around people who definitely have, um, and some. So, and I suppose it was interesting just to think how, with one or two decisions, you can go one of two ways with with substances if you're not careful so yeah that was very interesting that was revealing and and also you know it was it was good to sort of hang out with with interesting people who had who had uh, some interesting stories to tell <laughs> yeah, was it what you expected you did use the word shocking earlier I, on, I didn't so. really have any expectation to be honest you didn't no Initially, it was it was purely about answering a bit of an SOS. Yeah, it was an SOS. It was an SOS because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I knew that we knew, as people in recovery, we knew that everything had gone online. Mm. But if you don't know what we know, you didn't know that everything went online. Mm. And what I found was really difficult was disseminating the message. So people started ringing me up asking me for help mm. and I was trying to sort of inform them that all of the meetings the CA meetings the AA meetings the Al-Anon meetings all of the anonymous meetings and the smart recovery meetings they'd all gone online but unless you're involved in those communities you don't know that mm. yeah. so people were ringing me going the, the brown stuff's hit the farm mm. I need help but then People from other parts of the country started ringing me as well and saying, I've heard that you might be able to help me. Can you tell me I need I need treatment and I'm struggling to get mm. a response? So what I said to James was we were we were literally, weren't we, James? Like yeah, making it up as you go literally along. Literally making it up. Yeah. We were all making it up as yeah. we went along. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even in the fellowships. Uh, like people didn't understand how to get on Zoom and there were calls where there were too many people yeah. on Skype and nobody knew what to do and, you know, we were all going to die if we didn't have meetings. And, and what was the first thing you did for Kennedy Street in terms of producing media? 
what I was doing was was a bit like a sort of live TV director. I could go and find bits of information which were crit- which which were were reflected exactly what was being talked about at the, t- at the time. So if somebody mentioned a website or a phone number or something, I could go and find it and then I could slap it on screen as a bit of text. So it gave people that sort of contextual information straight away. And it would stream under, mm. under the... It was really clever, wasn't it? Mm. I thought we did a really banging job, to be honest, considering we were flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> and yeah. we had some, what did you think? Who did you think? I mean, without appearing to favour any of our guests. Which which of our guests did you find interesting? They were all interesting in their own way, you know, and I think that's the key thing is that they were all... Yes, there were definitely similarities, obviously, across different people's experiences, but, man, there were some massive differences as, as well. Um, so, and, and I suppose the thing that... The key sort of takeaway, if you like, is that... This can happen to anybody in any circumstance, in any kind of walk of, walk of life, um, in terms of something might change that might sort of kick you into addiction for whatever reason. So the, there should be no presumptions about, oh, it's, it happens to other people, it's not going to affect me. Yeah, I think that was a, a pretty big revelation for you as well, wasn't it, James? Yeah, you... definitely. I mean, not necessarily a big sort of banging uh, bolt of lightning, but um, after a few weeks, it was it was obvious that a you've got a massive contact book, and b um, all the people involved who were doing all sorts of different things, some really fascinating sort of projects and activities out there um, all were coming from a similar sort of point of view in terms of this has to be shared and this has to be built upon in terms of everybody's lived experience and how how that can both help other addicts other people in recovery but actually, I think what I've realised as well is that there are some sort of commonalities that affect everybody, whether you're an addict or not, just in terms of how we approach life and how we how we get affected by things. So that's been really interesting. Yeah. Left, left your speechless for the first time ever. <laughs> No. <laughs> I was just thinking about Zoom meetings. What was the first fellowship Zoom meeting you went on? Um, probably a CA one, if I'm honest. Mm. I mean, I think the CA really rushed towards getting meetings online. I think other fellowships that I'm involved in didn't really, weren't as quick to do that. Yeah, mm. CA literally went overnight, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and, and everybody in CA helped do you know what I mean yeah. I mean none of us understood anything we didn't understand what a passcode was or no. you know like how the numbers that you put in or what you clicked on to go on the meeting I, I was I was on a meeting once that you could hear somebody having a wee because they put, their <laughs> and put themselves on mute you know oh, it was no. all it was it was it was quite insane, really, wasn't it? And the backgrounds became a thing, didn't they? Oh yeah. But you know, having people walking be- behind you, or well, were you going to filter that out and make it look as if you were on a? 
and tropical my, beach yeah no my favorite one was there was somebody in a meeting who always um had a background of just loads and loads of toilet rolls you know because it was at the time <laughs> when nobody had any that was <laughs> they were in the shop <laughs> they were flaunting their wealth that, it was genius i think the other thing about it is one of the things that i've learned certainly by being in the fellowships and uh work doing the work is is to be is i've uh, i've I can ask for help. Does that make any sense? It's yeah. like before I came here, I wouldn't have asked for help. Um, and now, you know, I think it's that thing, isn't it, that you get quite skilled in um, just knowing when you need help. So, how great that you put out an SOS and James answered it. Mm. Absolutely. Which, which, which is, you know, in the world I come from, film production and stuff like that it, it that's a very common thing it's a collaborative effort collaborative effort so people are always asking for bits of help or bits of tech or bits of kit or whatever so in that sense it was a bit of a no-brainer I suppose when you first started uh when you first saw the advert did you think because a lot no. of people at a lot of people at the beginning of the pandemic were like, I must do something righteous and good with no, my time no. off. No, I wasn't like that at all. <laughs> wasn't it? No. So you didn't want to, ha- you didn't think you were going to come and help poor baby addicts? No. Do you know what it was? So in Brighton, yeah. if for anyone who's listening, if you're a charity or a local not for profit, we have a, um, a, a fabulous service called Community Works. Ah. And they are the local voluntary sector support uh, structure and when the covid hit they put out loads of information about what was available and there was this amazing i'd like to be able to name the amazing tech platform that offered like support if you didn't know how to use zoom so first of all i didn't know how to use zoom and they were really helpful with that so then i thought whilst i'm on a roll i'm going to ask if there's anybody out there who's technologically minded who can also help me with this online platform that I've not even ever heard of. Well, I, never... I found out about it through uh, something called Worthing Digital. There we go. Worthing Digital. Good old Worthing Digital. Yep, thank yeah. you. Community Works got in touch with, with Mark Ford, who set up Worthing Digital many years ago, who's an old friend of mine, and then he just put a call out on our Slack channel and... Boom. There we go. Um, the hero arrived. So three weeks, were. three weeks kind of... How but did look, you, I mean, you know, three I haven't weeks done... Became I haven't done that good a job five. considering what's just happened, have I? What, that we stopped recording? Yeah. Well, doesn't everything have technical issues, though? Like, really? I bet the BBC don't. I reckon they probably I do. I bet they do. I bet you that they would Actually, have had a do. man watching the lights. We need a man to just watch someone the lights. Someone whose only job, job was to watch the lights. Yeah, no, no. why did nobody tell... Or person. Or person. Um, yes. Why did nobody tell me you could get a job just watching lights? Hey, well, that would have been now good. you know. There you go. Well, okay. there's a bit more to it than that, but... Um, you, have you got any more questions, Deli? Well, I don't know, because I only had a few questions written down. Well, I, I'd be interested to, to know um, what questions you wanted to ask us, James. Well, so there was that previous one, which I can't remember if you answered or if it got cut off. Or maybe ask it again. So when, when we all got, when we all got um, kicked into lockdown, 
Was that reflective of any part of the process of getting into recovery, you know, in terms of how life-changing it was for so many people? Was there any element of that which you went, oh, this feels familiar, or, oh, I know how to deal with this? We did have a habit of saying in the fellowships in the early days of, of lockdown that we couldn't be phased by this because we were used to dealing with day disasters. by day with a life-threatening illness and that we had a daily reprieve um, that we could use for our benefit. But um, I think there was one thing I came across, particularly in CA, was people's resistance to not having face-to-face meetings. There were a lot of people who I think would have rather have carried on face-to-face meetings regardless Mm. because they felt that the essence of 12-step fellowships was being in a room and having that fellowship. But um, as Emma often reminds us, there were people who got recovery through the post in the old days, weren't there? I mean, when Um, they first wrote the big book, they posted it out to people and they would get sober yeah. by reading the book. Yeah. And it then it and then it says this, so one of the chapters is about going out and finding other addicts to do to help get into recovery. But I th- I think that you know that the in CA particularly, I mean we clung on till the last church hall was closed. Yeah. So it was like you, you know, we were all still going to meetings up until the day that, that all the church halls were closed. Yeah. yeah. And then it really was like a scrabble. And it did feel like um, we, you know, like because we have this mantra of taking things one day at a time, that we were all, we weren't as panicked as the rest of the population. No. that uh, we were just going to make sure we were all willing to go to any lengths to make sure that people could get recovery still. See, that's um, really interesting because if, if you compare that to, say, a, 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 your average business and how they were used to dealing with their routine, their, how they run themselves, that that element of presenteeism which certain companies, certain organisations have always had because they don't know how else to manage themselves, that for for them to then flip that around to not even trusting people to work from home, there was no alternative. Mm. Partly people being furloughed, so they you know they were sitting at home not knowing what to do with themselves, perhaps. But also, it, I think it's really interesting now how you know there was there were these cycles of thought in terms of oh this is the end of the city this is the end of the office this is the end of life as we know it kind of thing but hey what hey guess what you know actually it's not we've no. we're kind of going back to a mixture of what we had before and what we found worked from this last two years unless you're a tory politician i suppose but, um, oh yeah, but one of the things that we've got is the ability to be flexible. I think, yeah. hasn't it? I mean, how many times have we like gone to a meeting? Someone's lost the key, so we've had to have the meeting out on the lawn, or <laughs> you know, there's been some emergency. The fire alarm's gone off. We've all got to evacuate, so we'll just sit in the car park and have our meeting there. It 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 takes a lot to stop us being together. And that's think, really uh, that's really it's, it's almost like you have to you've left your egos 
at the door kind of thing. Yeah, well, we have to. Well, <laughs> some of us. <laughs> some of us. I mean, I think the other thing is there are a lot of people who got recovery just on Zoom. We yes. call them Zoom babies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so they, they, they went, their first meetings were Zoom meetings. They found their sponsors online and... They, they went through the, the steps, steps online, yeah. you know, yeah. and they, you know, I've, there was one meeting in particular that was set up in CA that's still going, that was set up every, for every morning at 7.30. It's called The Breakfast Club and it's an amazing meeting. It's still going and it's a real community, yeah. you know. Uh, online districts have been formed now in different fellowships. I think know. online committees, Zoom committees oh, yeah, have been yeah. formed. But, but, I mean, you know, like, so in CA, there's an online there's a whole online part of CA now there's a, you know I think there's a whole online form uh, part of code forming and I think it's probably the same in most um, Fellowship. fellowships because some people can't get to meetings you know for, for um, women with children what a what a great resource that yeah, this is life changing yeah and people with disabilities yeah, yeah. people with the I found a lot of people ringing us who lived in remote areas. Yeah. Um, people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, ringing in, going, I need help. And I've never really thought about getting help until now. Yeah. But I believe that there might be some resources available to me. And to be honest, it opened the world up for those well, people. And that it was the other thing, wasn't it? We all yeah. became... We all became totally accustomed to, oh, I, I went to a, an Alnor meeting in Dublin and then we all went to a convention, I think, in Durban, South Africa. Yeah. Um, I've been on meetings in North America. Uh, I think I went on a, a meeting in Australia. It, we, we suddenly embraced the fact that we really did have worldwide fellowships and yeah. um, we didn't have to get on a plane to go and meet all these people. Yeah. And when when the war started in U Ukraine, we all went to Ukraine mm. in in Alcoholics Anonymous. We all went to Ukraine via Zoom. <laughs> it was remarkable. There were yeah. thousands of people. Mm. How, how have supporting. the Zoom babies adapted? I mean, if if they've gone back to sort of in person meetings, how have they? I know you probably don't know them all, but um, some of how... them have. I do. I mean, I've met people. In Brighton, who come from all different parts of the, uh, for the of the country, who literally it is like meeting a long lost member of your family. Yeah, it's beautiful you know, that they've come to Brighton to meet the people who yep. started the Breakfast Club, and you know people from all over the country. People who've and you know the thing is about any fellowship is that people then muck in where they've come to and do chairs and help each other. And I think that was the difference. I I mean I got very. I would, you know, I I was very scared at the start of lockdown, but I had this part of my life. I had this fellowship uh, that was ongoing that mm. I don't know whether the rest of the world had, and I started to feel quite sorry for people who weren't involved in a community. Mm. And you know, my one or two normal friends that I've got, you know, they'd lost their community of work. They'd lost yeah. choirs. They'd of a family, yeah, 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 and I couldn't go and visit family. But we still had this really, mm. really strong fellowship going and I remember you know the at the end of the first lockdown uh, which would have been June 2020 the church hall, halls reopened 
and the government guidelines uh, were in place and said that we could start having fellowship meetings again. And and we did. Uh, you know, as soon as we could do that, we started going back into church halls yeah. and we had, to, we had to do things differently. We had to wipe down chairs. We had to... Um, there was only so many people allowed in the yeah, room. There was only so we many, created new yeah, service we, positions. We created new service positions and everybody... Mucked, you know, some people didn't want to go back to meetings and, and that was fair enough. But, you know, it was amazing to get, you know, so a lot of the world didn't have any kind of community that they could see face to face. But we were fortunate enough that we could do. I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? How partly you get that that extra, almost that extra, it's not so much anonymity, but um, that extra step of, being removed from a situation when you you know I'm talking to you via a screen so I probably react slightly differently to the situation to if I was in the room but equally if 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 there were other people on this call who were from different parts of the world you know immediately you're getting that hugely diverse perspective on a similar situation which like you said we would have never had before no and I personally do believe that people in recovery from all fellowships, because every single um, 12-step fellowship I know, and SMART, they were a little bit slower to get online, but they caught up quite quick. But it was almost as if I had a sense of... I knew that it was all going to be OK because I knew that we, as recovering addicts, were equipped... Yeah, yeah. Because like you said at the beginning, Deli, you know, we, we've dealt with adversity. We've dealt with near-death near experience. And our programme, when you look at the 12-step programme, it's a very simple philosophy for living, which is to live a day at a time, keep it simple, help one another and do what you think is the right thing. And basically all will be well. And reach out to each other, and there's Zoom helping us do it. Yeah. You know, we're used to phoning people. Now we can see each other's faces. It's like celebrity squares full of faces. Yeah. Um, and I recently was talking to someone in one of my fellowships, and she said, oh, I'd really like to meet you. It occurred to me the other day, I don't know how I don't know how tall you are. I don't know how you dress. And I was like, oh, crikey, yeah. We've seen each other through the screen. Um but, yeah, to, so then to meet in real life would be, yeah, to extend that experience and and get more out of it. Yeah. And it's amazing when you meet people that you've met on Zoom yeah. in real life. It really is. I mean, like I, 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 really I went is. to one of my, uh, a retreat for one of my fellowships in January and met a whole load of people that I had known on a screen for quite a long time, but you know, like it can I go said, one of two ways generally, can't it? <laughs> but it was brilliant. It was, it was, it was really amazing. Um, you know, I've got a friend who lives in Queens in New York who I regularly zoom, like at least once a week, and and talk to her. And we've we've all been planning for her to come over for a retreat and things like that. I mean. The gifts that we've got from COVID are huge yeah. Yeah. that I can see for, for fellowship. You know, it's like we've got more, you yeah. know, it's like we've got more recovery. We've got more places people can go. So um, many gifts have come out of it. Yeah. yeah, we can turn adversity to our advantage. It's what we do. Yeah. We're trained for it, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. But saying that before, because before COVID, I mean, for, for people that are listening that don't know about recovery, 
is it is an amazing community in yeah. whatever fellowship you're in i've been to, to to meetings all over the world and been welcomed before covid mm -hmm with open arms as if I am a long lost family member. I think that's one of the things that people don't realise. I mean, did you realise before you came to help the poor baby addicts that there was a community <laughs> of us? Or did you just think we were just sitting moaning in church halls? Yeah, I suppose I, I had a pretty typical image of what addiction was. Um, you know, either it was someone homeless sort of cradling a brown paper bag or you know the I suppose it pretty quickly I, I I was reflecting on certain situations I'd been in, in in the past where I'd lived with people who were very ob obviously going out to score class A's coming home shutting their door getting off their heads um but uh, I was very young at the time so in, in that sense it was just like oh well I'll just get on with my thing because he's off his head again um, and there's nothing I can do about it. And then, you know, I've worked in places, specifically ad agencies, where, yeah, of course, you'd always get the half-dozen people who would trundle off to the loos quite regularly and come back very happy. So, um, <laughs> you know, they're clichés, aren't they? But I suppose, I suppose they're clichés for a reason, because, because it is about repeated behaviours that people just can't kind of pull themselves out of at the time. I, I reckon that uh, advertising's like f a wash with drug well, they addicts, used to really, call it media it? colds, didn't they? Yeah. If someone had a red nose, they'd say, oh, I've got a media cold. Fair. Do you know what, though? I mean, in, in my experience of working in, like, media and, and the entertainment industry, is there are a lot of people that do abuse alcohol and drugs like a lot you know but, but, think... but it's, it's it's an environment where that's there's a sort of base of alcohol mild alcoholism if you like you know where i worked it had a bar it was a huge office you know one of the, one of the big ad agencies in london it had a bar where everyone would go you could get a drink anytime any yeah. day of the week and you know by seven o'clock every evening it was pretty busy yeah. particularly on Fridays there would be a drinks trolley on Fridays to be fair I used to work in the office of fair trading and they had a drinks trolley on a Friday yeah you know uh, it's or and, and, that might any have just been of... the bottle of tequila I had in the <laughs> and uh, you know there was there was an there was a culture of working late not not uh, often overnight, you'd do an all-nighter, which was a sort of almost a badge of honour at times because we were all macho ad people. Um, and, yeah, that was all fueled by whatever people fueled themselves on, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing of... There was, it's, it's a competitive environment, so you pitch to win business and you celebrate that by drinking a lot of alcohol usually and putting a load of Charlie up your nose. So that's not uncommon at all. It's not. It's not uncommon. And, and, and I, I, I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of people that just do abuse 
drink and drugs. And I think some of those people may go on then to... I think there are certain professions. In my experience of working with different people from different professions, there seems to be um, quite a, um, a lot of people working in certain industries who mm. have got maybe those addictive tendencies. Yeah. Um, the advertising industry is one. Banking is another. Um, school teachers is another one. The medical profession is another one. It's just everyone, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's just yeah, everyone. It's everywhere. anywhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, the clergy. It... The clergy. Yeah. Um, so you never met anybody the whole time you were in advertising who was actually in recovery then? Uh, not that I knew of. Wow. I mean, there, there are people who I know about who I used to work with who, who since then, you know, there have been conversations with other people saying, oh, yeah, I think I think he's finally sort of knocked something on the head because he, he's always had a bit of a drink problem. You know, they were the people who always had the longest lunches. Um, quite often they did the best work. Yeah. I've never you know, met a stupid addict ever in my no. life. Or, or yeah. It's complicated being an addict. You have to work at it. Well, I, well, you have to be, you have to be successful. You have to put the hours in. You have to have money for it, one yeah. way or another, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, whether yeah. that you know, whatever way you get it, isn't it? Whether I mean, I a earn job. a lot of money. I but I had to because I had a very expensive habit. Mm. So it's like I worked extremely hard so I could afford to pay for my drinking and drug taking yeah. and my friends mm. because I used to like to invite them to party with me. We always do, we like a hostage. We like a hostage, don't we, as an addict? But yeah. it made me feel a little bit less guilty about my own addiction. Do you think James feels like we've taken him hostage? Have we taken you hostage, Have we taken you hostage, James? Well, you're the one sitting in the little room. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. Absolutely. Have we got any other questions that we want to ask James? Or have you got any more questions that you want to ask us, James? Uh, we could go on all night, couldn't we? But well, we good. I just think maybe what's the main things that you've learnt about mm. recovery rather than addiction since you've been working? Good question. Good question, Emma. Here at Kennedy Street. I think. Um, I mean, the obvious thing is that that recovery is possible and it's achievable for anybody, but it takes. It takes that moment to flip from being fully unaware of recovery to being aware of of the possibilities of it. And I don't, I, you know, you'll have to tell me what what causes that moment of change. <clears throat> is it a gradual thing, or is it, you know, meeting someone at random, or is it just what I don't know? But I think. What I've learnt is that it, it's 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 as it's as fascinating as as human nature because it's that wide ranging and it's that um, it's that positive I suppose in that it it gives people that second life. Yeah, but with with the ability to be self reflective to to be very much more aware of. The world and and what's around them and what's what's possible both for themselves and other people. Yeah. And I think I, I think, think it that's... comes back. 
sorry to interrupt you, but it just made me think of what you said about how we leave our egos behind. I think one of the things we do learn in recovery is how not to be at the mercy of our egos. And that's why we have to do it a day at a time, because our egos pop up ready to take us over again. And, um, and it's interesting that you notice that. Well, I think that's... that's uh, what I've noticed, actually, is how how common that is, not just in addiction recovery but in in a lot of sort of self-help um information you know there are a lot of gurus out there who will tell you that they know how to make you rich or how to increase your website traffic or make your your google marketing that much more successful and and i think what i've realized is that the bullshit is the same however you dress it up and that until you can kind of put that to one side change doesn't happen that's very profound until you can put the bullshit <coughs> to one side i mean i think the thing is that nobody's an expert in the, in in the um in the fellowships I mean, I've met some people who think they are. Think they are, <laughs> and mate, I can think that I'm an expert on any given day. Do you know what I mean? But it's like all I can do is give my experience. <sighs> you know, all I can do is share my experience yeah. and what happened to me with another person, and say this is what happened to me. And yeah, I think everybody does have a jumping-off point. Mm. You know, I think you can call it the gift of desperation. You can call it the gift of vulnerability. You can call it, you know a reality fucking invading your life you know what i mean uh, but and we can and it can come in all sorts of yes, shapes and forms really. and i think it's so difficult to say for one person i'm working with somebody at the moment who's lost a leg mm. because of they've been injecting into their groin and and they've uh, the, the lead they've had to lose the leg at the end of it and they still don't think that they're an addict mm -hmm. i mean that's that's almost monty python-esque isn't it in in its extreme yeah the delusion is so it, it, well it's insanity you know yeah. it, 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 you, there's no other way of putting it really it's like when you are out there doing what you're doing it, it's it's insanity yeah i mean i, I have to say I, i've realized that recovery it, it really helps if you've got a pretty dark sense of humor yeah, oh, we yeah. All, yeah, we We've all got have crackers. I, mean, I, I think that's what appealed to me a lot, actually. But... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think don't... it was, wasn't it, really? I don't think, like, in all the portrayals, we, we talked about this every one of the episodes, really, about, you know, the media and how they yeah. portray the fellowships. I, You know, it's that thing about we have a really, really dark gallows sense of humour. We all do. You know, and it's brilliant. But we've never yeah. laughed so much. No, well, I think that's it. We've never cried so much either. I'm There's not, a yeah. line in the book, <laughs> yeah. isn't there, about how we're not a glum lot. And we really aren't a glum lot. We don't have time to be a glum lot, do we? We're really not a glum lot at all. But I think, like you said, we're, we're just emotive now. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about recovery for me is once you do park your ego up and re remember that actually... We're here for a reason, and and that reason is to find yourself well, and to, to and know to yourself. Help other well, people. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to know yourself first. Yeah, and I think that's one of the greatest gifts that 
you can't really help somebody if you don't know yourself, can you? Yeah, no. You know, and that's the whole process of going through those simple steps is to really find out about yourself, know yourself well, so then you can give the gift away. Yeah. And and it's that clarity, isn't it, as to what it, you want from life. You know, it, when you're self-seeking and it's all about me, me, I, I, you know, what's in this world for me... And I see it with civilians. It's not just addicts. Oh, I think no. you see people out there and they're just chasing the book all the time and the ch- or they're chasing the girl or they're chasing the boy or something or other. They're chasing something. And it's like, is there any joy? Mm. You know, there's no joy. They're... A lot of people are depressed out there and full mm. of anxiety because there's, there's no satisfaction. And I think for us, we've been... There's so many gifts to come from recovery. And I, and I do think one of the main ones is is community and fellowship. Yeah. And I, I'm one of the questions I'd like to ask you, James, is what made you stay? For two years, James. Yes. Super glue. <laughs> the sparkling conversation. <laughs> uh, what made me stay? Um, uh, I suppose a few things. Partly, yeah, you know... Claire and Kev are nice people to hang around with. Um, it's the dungarees. I suppose I, I started to... So in my day job, I help people and organisations to sort of clarify how they communicate a lot of the time. And what I started to see was some other areas where I, could, I thought I could help. Um... And I, I just grew from there, having various conversations with Claire, thinking, um, you know, you could try this, that and the other. Um, managed to get a bit of funding through the door. So, it's yeah, it just sort of... It just built... Different things built on each other. And um, for me, personally, that was a very satisfying place to come and ply my trade, almost, you know, to, to be able to bring... What I do into this kind of environment was was much more satisfying than a lot of other work. Uh, What's really for me having James on board has been really really helpful because obviously he's got loads of talents, loads of gifts. Um, He can turn his hand to pretty much anything, if the truth be known. I'm sure he's got a few gifts that didn't even know he had before he started. (laughs) But as a civilian that isn't an addict, he's been really helpful in helping me create a narrative that we can use in the workplace. Because, like I say, all the talks that we've done, 87% of the calls that we took during lockdown were from people who still had jobs. Mm. So that told me that that there's a real need for, for businesses to know that there is recovery out there mm. and that they just need to know where it is they need to know, they need to change the dialogue they need to change the bars in these places that they've got into wellness centers yeah. where they've got space to have conversations or have both at least i mean ironically <laughs> ironically that i've been in two big ad agencies where there's been a conversation about oh we've got this space on the roof or in the basement do you does everybody want a gym or do they want a bar yeah <laughs> guess, guess what always prevails 
I'm going to say a bar. Yeah. Just yeah, a right. guess. Yes, Just correct. a guess. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it is that thing, isn't it? No, none of us want to stop anybody from no. drinking no. or whatever they're doing. It's just that thing about allowing people to know that recovery is possible, that there are people out there who feel and think the same as them mm. and they're not on their own, you know? I didn't once feel on my own no. during lockdown. If anything, I was irritated by the amount of meetings that I, yeah. I ended up going to because I offered to help. But that's anyway, yeah. So I, I agree. I think keep recovery where it is in the community, you know, leave the bars in the place, mm. in the in the workplace, but have that that bridge from the workplace to the community where people can come and have conversations mm. should they need them because they yeah. do need them yeah. evidently but i think also it's really important that we start listening to what people actually are asking for and a lot of people and, and a lot of younger people particularly aren't interested in alcohol or drugs um and or smoking cigarettes like we all were so there is a genuine need for alternative kinds of spaces where people can go out in the evening, have a fun night without the pressure of, oh, you're not drinking alcohol or whatever. Yeah. Because, because that's, that's a cultural thing. And it's also tied in with a lot of very rich um, companies who sell alcohol for a living. And they've got massive marketing budgets. And they sponsor, you know, sporting activities and all sorts. So guess what? People drink more. But so I think it's, yes, by all means, you know, we're not in any state. Um, we're not telling people not to do what they want to, but equally give the people who don't that alternative, that genuine viable alternative and nice environments we've piloted over the years um, like sober social spaces and what was really interesting was how many young people came Mm. really young people like my Georgie's age um, who aren't really interested in drinking or drug taking weirdly I always found it very strange strange. it was part of youth but honestly, it's not part of the youth. No. There's so many young people. And uh, since being in recovery and since doing all the stuff that we do, <clears throat> I also know there's loads of people out there who aren't addicts, who don't drink much. That actually, I know, it's strange. Well, yeah, well, we just ne- would, I would, I never met those people. <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah. not to blame. <laughs> but the, 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 there are people that are looking for alternative social spaces Mm. where there isn't a pressure to have a drink if you don't want to or get lecched at if you don't want to be lecched at or, you know, approached if you don't want to be Mm. approached. Mm. Civilised sort of settings. But because there's no money in those settings because alcohol is where the the money comes from, Mm. you know, how do you make those spaces affordable? And from the research I've gathered, is the only way you can do it is through setting them as a charitable setting, you know, because there isn't money in them. No. Unless you get corporate sponsorship. And the unfortunately, in my experience of 
trial in these places. The only corporate sponsorship that's ever been offered has been from alcohol companies or drug companies. Lols. Conscience money. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Well, look, it's coming up to five to eight. Do you think we, ought to, we ought to release James back into the wild? And, oh. uh, or you, we can continue. It's I'm just that only, I am the I, monitor. Are you doing the University of Malacca's thingy? Should we mention that? University Do of Derby what? accredited Derby. training. I've had a look at it. And are you going to do it, or did you just have a look at it? I might edit this bit out. <laughs> I was just about to say, is this a fair? Do you think that we've got enough to make a podcast yet? Have it we given you enough material, recorded. James? <laughs> I know, we still I don't know what was oh, going I didn't on with this. Before the ceiling again. You we'll didn't find before. out, won't we? No guffawing at the ceiling. Thank you very much to Platform 9 for making the snug available to us. Very snuggy. We have been very snug in the snug this evening. Yeah. Platform 9. In Hove. Platform yeah. There are two platform nines. Did you know that? There's one in Brighton City Centre and there's one in Hove. And we want to thank um, James Lane, Mr James Lane, who is featuring on today's podcast, but also for all the hard work and um, editing that he does um, on behalf of our podcast. So, yeah, thank you, James. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. We should also thank Naomi. Naomi who- Brown. The amazing yes. Naomi Brown. Who supports us so well and does amazing research. She puts up with us as well, just like James A lot does, of people really. put up with us, yeah. don't they? Yeah. I think they like us. Uh, I think Naomi likes us. <laughs> I like Naomi. Yeah. Yeah, but no, thank you, Naomi, for all the hard work that you put in and all the fabulous research. I mean, she helps us a lot with the news newsletter. 